Hey, this is Graham, and I am so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media, at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. We are in uh, literally the halfway point of 40 days with Jesus because today is day 21. So we're at the halfway point. And what we're doing, 40 days with Jesus, is we are all studying the book of John together. And so all of our Sunday morning services are focused on one particular story of John, and then we're reading through the book of John about a half a chapter a day. And so right now, I think today's reading John chapter 11. So we are just past halfway point because there's 21 tra- chapters in John. And then we've got a bunch of small groups where people are gathering together, a lot like the disciples did after Jesus said some stuff, and they get together and say, what was he talking about? And what does that mean? That's what small groups are. We're talking about what Jesus is talking about, okay? And so it's not too late to be part of this. Jump in if you would. And uh, all the information is at graceassembly.org uh, forward slash 40 days with Jesus. Also at the information tent. For those of you that have been on this journey with us, I've got two words for you. Finish strong. Right? Let's finish strong. We've got 19 more days and it is awesome. It's all leading up to Celebration Sunday on May 23rd, and we're looking forward to people getting baptized, telling stories. If you've got a story, a testimony to share, let us know about it. It's going to be a great day, and how many know you can't have a celebration without some F-O-O-D food? Again, four of you. That's awesome. I got a little work to do today. Hey, we're studying the book of John. You know that John is one of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's interesting because each one of them is a, basically they're giving a biography of Jesus. And all four Gospels together give us this picture of who Jesus was. Now, it's interesting because each of these authors gave uh, a different perspective on the life of Jesus. Uh, If you think of the four Gospels as four different movies about the same thing, you might think of the book of Matthew as a long documentary. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 1? You know, this person begat this person, this person begat this person, and I can't pronounce the name of that person, and you you know what I'm talking about? So Matthew takes, he, he is actually, his primary audience is the Jewish people. And so he takes very detailed information to explain to these Jewish people that Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 different prophecies, and he is who he said he was. Now, Luke is more like a sci-fi movie, right? Because Luke is a doctor. He's not Dr. Strange. He's a doctor. And his primary audience was the Greek people, and the Greeks were philosophers. And so Luke has this strong academic background, and what he does is he, in detail, explains the miracles that Christ did and how, these, how Jesus could do what modern science still can't do. Right? And then there's the book of Mark. Mark is like an action movie. How many like action movies? Again, four of you. It's the same four. Thank you for those four people. Now, action movies are short because guys like them. 
Mark is the shortest gospel. Matter of fact, Mark skips right past baby Jesus. He goes to full-grown Jesus, smelling like Old Spice. I mean, he's, there's no Christmas in Mark. He just goes right, because Mark's primary audience was the Romans. And so the Romans were all about power and control. And so Mark paints this picture of Jesus as the man, right? It's powerful. Okay, so we get to the book of John. What kind of movie is the book of John? Well, guys, I hate to tell you, it's really more like a chick flick. <laughs> There's a lot of love in the book of John. Matter of fact, love is the dominant theme of almost all of John's books. You know, it's kind of like that, that movie, that series you watch, your wife asks you to watch it. You don't want to watch it, so you're sitting there watching it like this. And then after the first episode, you're trying to fight back the tears. <laughs> Your wife looks at you and says, you crying? Of course I'm not crying, but when is the next episode, right? That's kind of like, like the book of John. Now, John's, John's, I can tell you guys watch a lot of chick flicks. Now, John's audience, he really doesn't have a particular audience. His audience is really everybody. Is it any wonder why the number one most memorized verse in the Bible is John 3.16? For God so loved the world. So the word love, love is a theme of all of John's books, really, because John wrote the book of John, but he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. But let's look at this verse here. In 1st John chapter 4, verse 16, John says, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. There's a lot of love there, right? He says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives and then, so John is saying, listen, guys, God doesn't love. He is love. You can't have love without God because God defines what love is. Now, let's go back to John chapter 1, the gospel of John. And so John defines love in the person of Jesus, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Remember, God is love. So Jesus is love, and, and John says in verse 14, the word became flesh, Jesus walked among us, he made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John says, here's what Jesus was full of. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of both grace and truth, not 50% truth and 50% grace. He, he was 100% truth and 100% grace. Now, here's what I'm trying to help you understand today. This is really the primary takeaway of what we're going to talk about, is that love equals grace and truth. Just grace is not love. Just truth is not love either. The Bible says Jesus is full of grace and truth, and Jesus is love. So love actually means grace and truth together. Does that make sense? So there is no better picture of this principle uh, than I think the story we're going to read today in John chapter 8 about a woman who was caught in the sin of adultery. And so let's read it together in John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. At dawn, so again, this is at the very beginning of the day. Anybody been up at dawn in a while? 
right? So this is really, really early. Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. How many old people who don't even go to church know this verse? Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Isn't that why we love Jesus? Amen. Jesus doesn't condemn us. That's right. But he loves us. So he said, Go now and leave your life of sin. I think this is a powerful picture of how we respond to sin. Now, we've been making the case in this series that when I begin to follow Jesus, he begins to change the way I think. He changes the way I think about myself. He changes the way I think about other people. And in this story, we're going to see that he changes the way we think about sin, both our sin and other people's sin. How did Jesus respond to this woman's sin? He says, neither do I condemn you. He gave her grace. And the, but he also said, go now and leave your life of sin. He gave her truth. And how many know together, that's what love is. So he responded to her sin. He says, I'm not here to condemn you. But he also gives her the truth, stop sinning. Because that's what true love is all about, right? So if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then we also ought to be people filled with grace and truth. Because after all, the goal is to be like Jesus. So how do we do that? See, the problem is we struggle to balance, especially in the 21st century, we struggle to balance grace and truth. Uh, but Jesus functions in grace and truth simultaneously and perfectly. How many know Jesus was all grace? He welcomed sinners, tax collectors. He had meals with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry. He welcomed little kids to sit on his lap. He healed the lepers, the lame, and the blind. He saved the criminal on the cross who cried out for salvation at the very end of his life, and Jesus saved him. Grace, grace, grace. But how many know Jesus was also all truth? Matter of fact, he said, I am the truth. So uh, he condemned many of the religious leaders for being liars and hypocrites and called them as such. That wasn't very nice. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He called all of his people to, who were going to be his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. He spoke judgment over Jerusalem because of their lack of repentance. He obeyed the law. He set the standard of truth and demanded every one of his followers do the same. Jesus came from the Father full of grace 
and truth because that's what love is. God is love. Love is grace and truth. This is a challenge. This is not easy, but that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be full of grace and truth. Our problem is we tend to lean to one side or the other, right? We either lean toward truth or we lean toward grace. Now, when we tend to lean toward truth, the problem with leaning toward truth is we tend to become self-righteous and legalistic like the Pharisees in this story. So the Pharisees in this story, they did not care about this girl at all. Imagine, this is at dawn. So they would, have, they would have pulled her out of a very intimate situation. Probably at this time, she's only covered in a sheet. And do you see that what it said there? They made her stand before everybody. They were shaming her. They were condemned. They didn't care about her at all because she sinned, and sin's got to be dealt with. Now, here's the problem with this story. The Pharisees were exactly right. They said, Jesus, the law, we caught her in adultery. And how many know adultery is a sin? There's a reason that God says, thou shalt not commit adultery because God gives rules for our sexuality to protect us and to provide for us. And she had broken these rules. She had wrecked her own home and probably wrecked other people's homes as well. They were right. And they were right. The law said in the book of Deuteronomy that this woman deserved to be stoned. Now, all that shows is, remember, the Pharisees knew the Word of God. Matter of fact, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible when they were young. So they knew the law, which only means that you can know the Word, but not know the author. You can know the letter of the law and completely miss the spirit of the law. You can win an argument with somebody on social media, but you can lose a person, right? They were right and they were wrong at the very same time. And sadly, what this means is you can be religious and be very hateful. Sadly, I grew up in the, it's not sad that I grew up in the church. I'm glad I grew up in the church. <laughs> Let me fix that. I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. I was in the church all the time. Can I tell you some of the meanest people I've ever met? I went to church with. That's really, really sad. Let me, let me just pause for a second and and offer an apology to every person, either online or in this room, who's ever been on the receiving end of religious junk. You were, you were judged, you were hated, you were outcast, whatever, you didn't deserve it. And I just want to apologize on the behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ. We are sorry. Because that does not reflect Jesus Christ. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And let's be honest, the longer we're saved and the longer we're in the church, the more we tend to lean toward the side of truth. And we get self-righteous. I'm preaching to myself. Is that okay? So back to the story. So the Bible says they're trying to trap Jesus with this situation. Jesus, the law says stoner. What should you do? What should we do? If Jesus says we shouldn't stone her, then he's trampling on the law of Moses. If he says, go ahead and stone her, he's going to be trampling on a woman. <laughs> we got you, Jesus. 
I love Jesus because he teaches us so much. First of all, he doesn't react, he responds. He says nothing. Somebody needs to hear this. Silence can never be misquoted. It is not required for you to respond to every post on social media. You're welcome. So here's all of this commotion, this accusation, blah, blah, blah. Jesus says nothing. The Bible says he just gets down in the dirt. Aren't you glad Jesus is willing to get down in the dirt with us? He starts writing on the ground, writing on the ground. And, and, and the scripture says the Pharisees kept questioning, Pam, what, Jesus, what are you going to do? Writing on the dirt, writing on the dirt. Now, uh, a lot of people wonder, what was Jesus writing in the dirt? That's a great question. Some people think he was writing the Ten Commandments. I heard one Bible scholar say that he was writing Jeremiah 17, 3. Oh, Lord, the hope of Israel, all those who forsake you will be written in the dust. One of my favorite ones is uh, some, somebody said that Jesus was writing down their names and their mistresses. <laughs> Benjamin, Sally. Hebrew, tradi Hebrew tradition states, however, that uh, what Jesus was probably writing down was the names of everyone that was there with a rock in their hand. So imagine this scene. So you've got all these people standing around ready to kill this woman for her sin with a rock in their hand. And a lot of people think, well, Jesus wrote the name, that, the names of all those people standing around and their sin. And I think that's the best explanation because of the context of this story about grace and truth. Now, uh, after he writes in the dirt, he, gives, he gets up and finally he's ready to respond with this. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And the reaction was like that. Mic drop. And the Bible says that the oldest to the youngest just, they drop their rock. And they begin to walk away. See, the problem with leaning too much toward truth is that when we become self-righteous, we tend to be real quick to be hard on other people who sin, but we tend to go easy on our own. We're fine receiving grace when we sin, but when somebody else's sin, hey, they need the truth. The problem is when we become self-righteous, I think it's the fact that we forgot that we need grace too. That nobody is righteous apart from God. Nobody's good enough. I don't care how long you've been to church. I don't care if you are a pastor's kid. I don't care if you were born in the church and lived here your whole life. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you've earned anything. It's still because of grace, right? But by the grace of God, that's me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that we are saved by grace. You see, God's standard, God's truth is righteousness, is holiness, and it is required by all of us. 
It is an impossible standard for us to reach, which is why God gave us Jesus, because he did meet that standard, and because he meets the standard, and I put my faith in him, now I'm saved, and like we sing it, the blood washes white as snow. That's called grace. That's why the most famous song of all time is amazing grace. So Jesus gave this woman grace. He says, I don't condemn you. In John 3, 16, verse 17, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is trying to help his followers understand, I didn't come here to smash people. I didn't come here to throw rocks at people. I didn't come here to judge everybody. I came to save them. And I just want to pause for a moment, wherever you're watching this or if you're in this room today, that Jesus is not here to condemn you. He's not here to throw rocks at you, and neither are we as a church. We are here. God is here to save your eternal soul because God is not willing that anybody should perish, but everybody come to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody? Amen. You see, this is, this is God not just in the New Testament because, well, well, that's Jesus, grace, Old Testament's law. God back then was, was a hater, really. This is Exodus 34, second book of the Old Testament. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness. There's that word, grace. Can I tell you that truth without grace is just mean? But grace without truth is meaningless. See, here's the problem. When it comes to grace and truth, the other way we get this out of balance is we tend to focus only on grace and we ignore the truth. Just as we can lean too far into truth, we can lean too far into grace. Some people see this story about this woman who committed adultery and say, well, since Jesus said he doesn't condemn her, that means he did not care about her sinning. Oh, yes, he did. And if Jesus doesn't care about her sin, then he doesn't care about my sin. He doesn't care if I go on sinning. Oh, yes, he does. You see, Jesus showed love by giving her grace and truth. And the truth is found in verse 11. Go now and leave your life of sin. Another translation say, stop sinning. That's called repentance. Because the truth is, sin leads to death. The truth is, if we continue to sin, we will die. The truth is, if we continue to disobey God's law, there are consequences. Now, that's not hate. That's love. Because it's truth. When we're out of balance with grace, our thinking goes like this. You know, I can get drunk on Friday night because I'm saved by grace. I can sleep with whomever I want because I'm saved by grace. I can blow up my family. I can cheat that person out of their money. I can cheat on my taxes because I'm saved by grace. Some of us treat grace like this get out of hell free card. And because of that, I can do what I want whenever I want with whom I want. And who are you to judge me? Because after all, I have grace. Grace, 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 grace. Can I tell you if that's your thinking, you have the wrong understanding of grace. Because grace involves mercy. Yes, it does. Grace involves the mercy of God to forgive us of our sin. But grace is also the power to stop sinning. 
If that were not true, he would not have told her, go and leave your life of sin. Stop sinning. If, he, if that was impossible, he would not have told her to do that. So grace is not just mercy, but grace is power. Grace isn't just mercy. Grace is power. Because grace is not a get out of hell free card. Grace is this incredibly powerful thing that Paul describes in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me stop for a second and remind some people that the devil loves to remind you of what you did and who you were and the, thing, and the places you went and the people that you hurt. But because it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no zero, no condemnation. Through We ought to give God praise for no condemnation because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. No condemnation, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's power. He's saying there's, it's not only the fact I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm actually going to set you free from sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin, listen to me closely, he doesn't condemn you, right. but he does condemn sin. Amen. There's a difference. Just because we bring up sin does not mean that we're condemning you. Come on. This is so important. So he says, he condemned sin in the flesh. He took all the price. He took the penalty on himself in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in who? In us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this is what this verse is saying. God gives us grace. Because of grace, there is no condemnation. But what he does give us is the gift of conviction. Because there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation says, you messed up. You're a bum. You're a loser. You ought to be ashamed. That's condemnation. Conviction says you messed up, and that's not who you are. This is the way out. Some of your parents need to get this, because this is a powerful parenting principle. Instead of calling your, your, your sons and daughters stupid or loser, don't you dare label them. If they, get me if they mess up and they're going to mess up, hey, that is not who you are. That is not what God called you to be. You are better than that. That's parenting 101 right there. Where, where do we get that? We get that from God. So when God convicts us, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Lots of preachers this, have used this. Uh, it's, this is not original to me. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. But grace and truth is medicine. I love that. If we do grace without truth, everybody just gets to do whatever they want. Think about your parents. Say, you know, hey, child, just do whatever you want. You know, come home whenever you want, act wherever you want, say whatever you want. How many know if you're a parent, that's not love. The Bible says if you don't correct your child, it's because you hate them. It's the same with grace. Don't you dare talk about my sin. Don't you dare talk about sin at all. Really? Really? 
That's not love. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Again, parents, some of you, boom, 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 boom. Come on, bring some grace to the table. Are you getting this? That goes for marriage too, by the way. But grace and truth, that's medicine. See, the gospel of Jesus is both grace and truth. That's what true love is, grace and truth. So let's apply this to our culture, and then we're going to pray. We live in a culture that hates the truth, hates it. As a matter of fact, to even speak the truth about anything, the response from a lot of people is, you're a hater. Why does the church hate me? Why do, why do people of God, listen, just because we speak the truth doesn't mean that we hate you. Can, can I tell you that the most unloving thing to do is to not tell the truth? Imagine you go to the doctor. Uh, you've got pain. You've got issues. You know, what, is, what, what do you want the doctor to do? You want the doctor to first diagnose you with the treatment or with whatever it is you, you've got going on, the diagnosis. Okay, this is what's going on. And then you want him to prescribe a treatment or, you know, the, the way out, okay? So that's grace and truth. But what if that doctor said, wow, I just found out they have cancer. I just found out they're going to be struggling with this disease. I just, that wouldn't, they're going to feel bad. They're probably going to cry when I tell them that. That's not very loving, so I'll just keep it to myself. Is that doctor showing love? No. That doctor will get sued for malpractice for not telling you the truth. But hopefully that doctor will turn around and say, hey, here's the way out. Here's the plan. Here's the treatment. Does this make sense for you? So we live in a culture that desperately needs to hear the truth and grace filled with truth and grace. Personally, I think the most unloving thing you can do is to withhold God's truth from people. That's the most unloving thing that we can do is not to tell the truth about homosexuality. It would be unloving for me, for us, to not talk about that. It would be unloving for us to never address living together, having sex before you get married. It would be unloving for us to address, to not address prejudice and racism. It would be unloving for me not to address adultery. It would be unloving for me not to address gossip. You name your sin. We like to categorize sin, but it's all sin to God. But here's the deal. I don't bring, we don't address those things. I, I hope you're hearing my heart. I hope you're online. I hope you're hearing my heart. Our goal here, I, I think the goal of Jesus is not to beat you over the head with our Bibles and say, you're wrong, you're condemned. That is not Jesus. But I hope what you hear is here's the truth and it will set you free. And Jesus doesn't condemn you, but he does want you to stop sinning because if you keep on sinning the way you're sinning, you're going to die. You're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy people all around you. That's the truth. And we've got to be able to speak the truth, but filled with grace. 
without condemnation. That is what your neighbors desperately need. That is what your coworkers desperately need. That is what this community desperately needs. They need love. Love defined as grace and truth. I'll close with this story and we're going to pray. Long time ago, I was a youth pastor. No, I mean, I'm serious. I really was. Trace and I were youth pastors. My last year of being a youth pastor, I think I was 26, 27 years old. Um, the Assemblies of God Fellowship that we're part of has a gathering, a national gathering every year of all ministers and missionaries and church leaders and stuff. Uh, and they always pick a particular city. And so this last time I was a youth pastor, everybody was coming to Indianapolis. Everybody was coming to our town. And so part of that is youth groups would come from all over and they would participate in Fine Arts Festival, which is a competition of music and drama and short sermons and all this kind of stuff. So uh, part of the week involved outreach to different parts of Indianapolis. So I was placed in charge of the outreach at Monument Circle. And so the idea was on this, on this particular day, beginning in the morning all the way through to the evening, we would have different youth groups come and do human videos. Does anybody know what a human video is? You know, you don't know what a human video is if you don't know the word Carmen, right? <laughs> Acting out a song. And then they would do short sermons and, and di- all kinds of great stuff. And so uh, they would do their presentation on Monument Circle. People would gather. Hey, there's music. What's going on? Eyeballs. Every 30, 45 minutes, it was my job to stand up and give an altar call to the people who had gathered to invite them to surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done street ministry, but it's hard. You have people heckling you. You have people just walking away from you. It is not like church at all. It's hard. And, and I'll just be honest with you, as the day went on, you know, my faith just went, you know, there was no response or very little. As the day went on, toward the end of the day, there was a high school girl, I don't remember her name, I don't remember which uh, church she was from or what city she was from. She said, Pastor Wayne, would you mind if I gave the altar call this time? I'm like, you can't do any worse than I've been doing. <laughs> she gets up there, she's standing in a monument circle, she just begins to cry with tears in her eyes. She said, if you only knew how much Jesus loved you, if you only knew that he sent his son to die for you, to take your place, and she is weeping and with such passion and such emotion, she is reaching out, he loves you. If there was nobody else in the world, he would have died for you because your sin is gonna cost you your life, but God so loved the world. And she asked people to raise their hand if they wanted to receive Christ. Hands are going up everywhere. I'm shaking my head. I'm the professional. I graduated from Bible college. I'll never forget that day. Because the truth mixed with grace changes people's lives. Just truth makes me self-righteous. Just grace makes me self-deceived. But grace and truth That changes me forever. Would you bow your heads? Can I tell you the truth? Some of you here in this room, some of you are watching online, you're living in sin. 
Some of you are flirting with adultery. Some of you are taking drugs. Some of you are gambling. Some of you are doing things that are destroying you. Hey, I'm not hurting anybody. Well, God's word says differently. And listen, God doesn't condemn you, but your sin is going to destroy you because the wages of sin is death. And there is no way for you to be good enough to meet God's righteous standard. That's why you need grace. And God loves you enough, and we love you enough here today to tell you, I don't condemn you, but you need to stop sinning. Some of you are on a one-way road to destruction, but God loved you enough to bring you here today. God loved you enough to turn on your computer today to watch this because he wants you to stop. Stop. The wages of sin is death. The way that seems right to a man, it may seem right to you, but the end is destruction. And he loves you enough to tell you the truth. He loves you. He doesn't condemn you. I'm not condemning you either. He extends to you truth and grace, and that's love. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to surrender your heart to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do what that woman did. See, repentance means stop sinning. It doesn't mean feel bad for my sin. It doesn't mean feel guilty for my sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is go and sin no more. Repentance is stop doing that. You're here today, you say, that's me. I need prayer. I need God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. When I count to three, you say, Pastor, this message is for me. My heart's not right. Maybe your problem is self-righteousness. Maybe you're so full of truth, you've, you've all missed grace. You're so full of criticism that you have, totally, you have totally forsaken the grace of God, and you need God to forgive you. But how many here say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? I need to get right with God. I need my heart to get right with God today. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want to make things right with God. One, I want you to listen to the voice of this spirit because he loves you so much. Two, when I say three, put your hand up. Pastor, pray for me. I need to make my heart right with God. When I say three, three, put it up. Thank you, thank you. Keep raising them, keep raising them all over this room. Online, raise your hand. Let them know that you're praying. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. More than 15, 20, 25 hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being honest. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Pray this way, and everybody is gonna pray together to encourage one another. But would you say, dear God? Come on, say it out loud like you mean it, dear God. Thank you for telling me the truth today. I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I need your power to stop sinning. So I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Give me a new heart and wash me white as snow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, everybody, say amen. Somebody give God praise. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Praise God. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it, 
and share it online. Or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next week.